0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: If you've grown up as a woman, you've been conditioned to please and not be too much and not be too loud, not be too quiet, not be too sexy, you know, all of these ridiculous requests that mean when it comes to putting ourselves out there that feels very exposing and it feels very risky and you know there is a ton of data that shows women both men and women treat women who are being seen to self-promote negatively Mm. and that's part of the work I'm doing up front is about helping women in particular realize that we need to be really conscious of that and turn it into cheerleading and championing and and not let the patriarchy hold us in that viewpoint of like, oh, we need to be suspicious of this woman because she seems to be taking up more space than we've been told to.
2: Hello and welcome to the Wannabe Podcast, a behind-the-scenes look at the opportunities available in the creative and entertainment industries so you can get to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. I am of course your host Imrielle Morgan. Welcome back. Thank you all for taking the time to check out the episode with Arlen Hamilton. Be sure to get a copy of her book, It's About Damn Time, available for purchase now. Today's guest is someone I've known for a little while now, and I think you'll absolutely adore her. Her name is Lauren Curry. Lauren is the founder of Upfront, which she set up to help women get comfortable with public speaking and being on stage. She's the CEO of Stride, a digital platform that will transform and democratize leadership training. And she's a very established speaker. Oh, and she holds an OBE. In today's episode, Lauren shares where her love of design came from and how following that path led to her starting her own service design agency. Lauren shares how she turned her frustration into action and created upfront to directly tackle the lack of women on stage at design conferences and seminars. She also reveals how she balances her workload with motherhood. There's all of this and so much more. So let's get into it. Who did you want to be before you became who you are today and why?
1: So I don't think there was a specific person. There was two two kind of images that I always held in mind. One was a newsreader and I don't quite have strong memories of like why or where that came from. But I remember thinking I would love to do that. and I think I'd be good at that. And then the other one was, you know, when you walk through Ikea and you see, like, the moody black and white portraits of, like, the woman called Cecile who designed the stool?
2: No, I've never seen, I go through Ikea all the time.
1: (laughs) They have portraits of the designer who designed the product on the way. And I used to think, you know, that would just be absolute success if I could design a product for Ikea and have my face on their wall. Oh, wow. Wow.
2: That's such a good aim. I love that. No one's ever said anything like that before. That's so fun. <laughs> Did you ever get round to designing products?
1: Well, yeah, I ended up going to art school to study product design. Like it was very much part of the part of my kind of plan and mission in those early school days. Like I was super lucky that I had a really amazing Art school teacher who I remember really clearly the day that he showed me a TV remote control that somebody had redesigned for someone with arthritis. Oh, wow. And I must have been like maybe, I don't know, maybe like 13, 14. And I remember in that moment just having like such a brain explosion of like, oh my God, like every single thing that we use every day somebody has designed like how cool is that and from that moment on I was absolutely obsessed with like product design and you know from cutlery to chairs to like more decorative stuff like all the way through school that's what I was excited about
2: that's nice I really love people that can design it's the one skill that I wish I had I do not possess it it's fine but I do have like a
1: You design other things. You design stories and curations and relationships and Yeah, it's just not as glamorous as making things. <laughs> but it's better for the planet. I mean that's I don't make things anymore. Like I my path changed quite quickly when I got to university because I discovered service design, which is taking all those same things you would think about if you were making a chair but applying them to services and systems like the NHS or the postal service. And that's when it starts to get super interesting for me. But also, as you say, is more like invisible. Mm. So it's definitely not as sexy as like, look at this amazing poster or this amazing lab that I designed.
2: Yeah. Why service design? What was the interest there? Where did that come from?
1: I think it was, as I said, like this transition from, okay, you can create objects that are really functional and beautiful. Or you can take those same principles and apply that to services. And the, the first time I discovered it, I was in a lecture by Professor Mike Press, who's now a good friend of mine, and he was teaching us about design against crime, which was a government-backed program to use design techniques to design interventions in society that would reduce crime. And that was kind of this first step in my like fascination with how can we make you know because let's be honest a lot of services we use every day if not most of them are broken let's just think about universal credit or let's think about trying to get a new passport or trying to figure out when your bins get collected you know
2: I have no idea (laughs) (laughs) no that makes sense I never would have thought to look at it that way but I guess that is you are designing systems and processes that should technically flow in what feels like a human and logical way. And often they don't. And that causes breaks. If we kind of skip ahead of it. So when we first met, you were doing Upfront. How did you go from, I guess, service design in school To upfront and basically kind of just being this leader in championing women's voices on stage like what was the turning point that led to that moment
1: oh that's a good question the headlines and the short story is so went so studied product design with a really big emphasis on service design which you know 12 13 years ago wasn't really a thing that you could buy a book about or study you know it was very still very immature So then straight after university, I set up one of the first service design consultancies in the UK that was focused on bringing design into public services. And I built that for six, seven years from Glasgow into a design agency. And then I moved to London and was part of a few different ventures and organisations around using design to help charities generate money in different ways I spent a year designing the very first master's program in experience design in Manchester amazing and I guess through all of that work I found myself in a certain position of power where you know people would ask me to talk on podcasts or go on stage and and that felt like such a such a responsibility that when I started to get angry in those environments I was usually the only woman mm-hmm. and usually everybody was white. And there was one conference in particular where it was that kind of make it or break it moment where I realised like I had to stop complaining about this and try and make it better or try and understand why conference stages are so dominated by white men who are usually middle-aged, middle-class. So, I took a risk and I spoke about it in my talk, much to the conference organizers' horror. You know, I was like, why am I the only woman <laughs> on this bill? And I then put a post it note in the women's toilets and I stuck it to the mirror. And the post it note said, why are you not on stage? And who do you want to see on stage? Like, come and talk to me. And that was the day that Upfront was born. So, I had queues of people waiting to talk to me. And I started to listen to all these different stories about you know, why people don't feel comfortable even imagining themselves on stage. And I realised that actually, you know, it is a very complex, systemic problem. You know, I in no way think that I'm even remotely solving gender inequality. But what I did do was zoned right in on that one tiny aspect of equality on stage and decided to build something to combat that, which has since morphed into something else. But that was where front came from. And then I've pivoted again, slightly away from services and systems into teams and organizations. So then I joined an organization called Nobel, and they're all about, again, taking those design principles and applying them to teams, like the way people work together and the way organizations function. And two months ago, I started a new company called Stride. So Stride and Upfront are my main two focuses right now. Amazing.
2: Uh, how do you manage your time <laughs> with a two-year-old and two companies?
1: Yeah, the million-dollar question. So I the only reason that I can do the work that I do is because my partner stays at home and is a full-time daddy. So we are suffering all the same ills that most couples suffer just gender reversed and that his career mm-hmm. has been put on hold. And, you know, he's made a huge sacrifice to, although he says, you know, it's it's a huge privilege for him that he's able to, to do that. Yeah. You know, he's here to care for my son and, you know, I'm my own boss. So with all the pressure and responsibility that comes with that, I also have a lot of flexibility and freedom and that I get to choose when I work and how I work
2: yeah that's pretty great in terms of what you're doing with stride now so that's all about leadership for individuals and I guess organizations as well how does that work because it's quite vague (laughs) on the website it's like something is coming but what what is coming
1: yeah so we are building a digital product to democratize leadership development so what I mean, when we say that is, right now, the average age of a person when they have their first leadership development training is 42. And the average age of a first time manager is 30. So there's a huge leadership gap. And right now, I mean, I've just spent two years doing this type of work, right? And I would spend my work days in hotel conference rooms with the top layer of an organization. Again, usually white men, middle class, middle mm-hmm. aged. And we would spend two days working on their strategy, their culture, their ways of working. And they would pay us like 35,000 pounds for those days. So that That's model weird. is very expensive, elitist, in that it's not accessible to everybody. Okay. And all the data shows that even with the best design two days in the world, 70% of what people learn leaves them 24 hours after the training days. Okay. So we are building a product so that you can learn how to lead, learn leadership skills, techniques and methods on your phone at your own pace in a way that's tailored to your context. And we are targeting people at the very start of their career.
2: Oh, that would be good. Yeah, I think you're right. That is like, there is a huge gap. So I did an MBA two years ago and it has like some stuff around organisational, like basically organisation management, team building, project management. But that was the first time I'd ever in my whole life been introduced to even some of the theory and the concepts behind that. I've never, I didn't know it was a thing. (laughs) So in terms of training and development, you're kind of just thrown in at the deep end without actually, you're kind of learning on the job as opposed to getting any kind of formal or structured training to upskill. And I, I think, yeah, that that's a really good idea because at least then it's providing that, like, I guess what some people use as like mentorship or, like, yeah, you'd get like a career coach or a business coach to kind of take you to that next level. You've moved it away from that a little bit.
1: A lot of the organisations that, you know, the startups you were probably part of, you know, they can't afford to have fancy consultants come in and, you know, stride will cost you or your employer like 10 pounds a month. And if anybody listening is excited about it, you can go on our website and sign up, download the app and play with it and tell me what you think. We're also looking for teams to test strides within their teams, especially,
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.
1: Actually, now that everybody is working from home during this global mm-hmm. pandemic, so it's definitely not to replace a coach or to replace a mentor. You know, ideally, it would be working alongside these things. But what it's about is having a companion that you... That you're in touch with regularly so the product's built to make you change your habits and change your behavior so that you become the best leader that you have the potential to be and the reason that I'm dedicating you know this chapter of my life to this product is I really really think if we get it right that we could totally transform gender equity and race equity and at the top of organizations and I think that's That feels very exciting.
2: I want to talk about running your business from the more kind of practical standpoint. So I guess you started first in Glasgow. You said you were running your own agency there. What do you know now that you wish you had known then?
1: I know now that building meaningful things takes a very long time. Mm. There's no shortcuts and there's no overnight success like years and years and years and years of graft I think there's also you know and I know this is I think Gabby talked about this in your interview with her as well but just like how important it is to look after yourself like I ended up in hospital once and spent like five Christmases in a row in bed ill oh wow I just you know I spent my entire 20s I just worked every single minute of every single day and you know I get that when you're in your 20s you're you've got the energy to do that and you don't have people depending on you and you can burn the candles at both ends and all of those cliches but it is it can be really damaging you know Mm -hmm. I came out the other side of it and it you know wasn't harmed too badly but you know we've all read the stories where it, it doesn't go that way so I think definitely something about really looking after yourself getting enough sleep yeah i think those would be my main two things
2: those are really good things to
1: think about actually
2: it really hit me when you said you know building something of quality and of value is it does take a really long time i mean it doesn't stop anyone from chasing the shortcut <laughs> and trying to and trying to like hack it but it just never never works it's always a really slow build like some of the stuff that i can do today or am doing today with my company has been like two three years in the making of just like plodding along building relationships getting a reputation and it's just it's nice like yay finally but where was this like two years ago I needed this then but actually I think everything happens at the right time when you're ready to accept I guess the responsibility that comes with what you're asking for I guess actually no so I've been following you f- on social for for Well, since we met, really. So I think more recently, I've just been on Instagram more. So I've noticed more on Instagram. I've noticed you're doing a lot more to camera and videos and speaking to people more. And actually, I think it was only a couple of weeks ago where you posted. You're like, if you had told me I would have done like two camera things, I probably wouldn't have been doing that. So I just wanted to know what was the kind of what was the motivation to get started with, I guess, what I see as more of a personal branding effort on your part.
1: Such a good question because it is something that I've, yeah. I mean, one, I'm just very flattered that you've noticed. So that's really nice. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's something that I've made a very conscious decision over. So, probably for the last, I think, 12 years since I first started blogging I had my website and all my social media handles under red jotter just because I mean people say to me like oh what was the strategy it's such an impressive brand like honestly it's just because I like red the color red and I had a red notebook (laughs) at the time and when I registered the domain I was like okay I could do red jotter or red pencil and my flatmate was like red pencil shit definitely go with red jotter and so so it became and I think four years ago Founded up front, and up front's whole mission is about changing confidence, visibility, and public speaking. And you know, we are getting brilliant feedback. I'm proud of the work that we're doing, but I was quite struck by the kind of tension or hypocrisy in there that I was doing all of this work to encourage other women to be visible and to show up, and yet not fully doing that myself. And I had a conversation with a friend of mine called Kay. She runs a company called Paved with Gold. And, you know, I started to tell her all these reasons why I could never talk to camera or even do Instagram stories. I hated the idea of stories. I was just like, they're so it's so noisy. There's so many people already talking about this stuff. It's so cringe. People laugh at me. And she just really I can't remember the exact words she used, but she said something along the lines of, It's up to people to choose who they listen to and who they engage with if people don't want to hear what you've got to say then they'll leave and go elsewhere but the people who need your message will find you and stay there Mm. and as I started it you know because I love public speaking I do so much public speaking and I know that I'm good at it and I it does what I want it to do. You know, it motivates people or it inspires people. So when I started doing it, it actually feels very natural and easy for me. Like the actual process yeah. of doing it is is very easy for me. But I just had to get over that mindset of like, you know, what are the people that I went to school saying about me now that I'm all like, hey, here's my IGTV channel, Um, you know like that doesn't matter and I actually have had a bunch of messages from people I went to school with being like how cool is this like this really helped me or I just sent this to a friend of mine and so yeah that's kind of the thinking behind and I've changed all the red handles to my name oh wow my website and my social media and all that is my name which sounds like well, obviously it's your name, but actually that was a huge deal for me. It felt like kind of letting go of the first decade and now I'm ready for this next decade of like bigger and bolder and more impact and being more uncomfortable with all the things that that brings. Yeah, it is a huge daunting
2: ask. I think I definitely empathise with how you felt before doing it. Because I'm still
1: a bit like, Instagram stories, no thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather not. I'm totally up for, because I'm starting to pride myself in like, the number of people I've convinced. And then they'll do one and tag me in it. And I'm like, yes. So <laughs> anybody who's thinking about it, not sure, you know, needs an accountability partner, needs somebody to give them a kick up the bum, needs somebody to tell them they're good enough. I am all here for that.
2: Good I will make sure that that is in the show notes for sure because I think it is a bit daunting it's very intimidating and you definitely can get caught up in the what will x person think or yeah I think that's definitely the biggest thing at least holding me back is like oh people are just going to think I'm being so annoying um (laughs) even when I post pictures with like a longish caption I'm like oh god people must think I'm so annoying and that's never actually that's never manifested to be true but it's it just in your head, yeah.
1: And it's also understanding, like, that's a big part of what Upfront is about, is helping people understand that, you know, that, that narrative changes depending on your gender. Because, mm. you know, women, if you've grown up as a woman, you've been conditioned to please and not be too much and not be too loud, not be too quiet, not be too sexy. You know, all of these ridiculous mm. requests. That mean when it comes to putting ourselves out there that feels very exposing and it feels very risky and you know there is a ton of data that shows women both men and women treat women who are being seen to self-promote negatively mm. and that's part of the work I'm doing up front is about helping women in particular realize that we need to be really conscious of that and turn it into cheerleading and championing and and not let the patriarchy hold us in that viewpoint of like oh we need to be suspicious of this woman because she seems to be taking up more space than we've been told to
2: that is such a good point I guess that's an unconscious bias that we don't even realize that we have actually is that we because I, th- I think I've definitely been guilty of possibly just being like oh that's a bit bold or a bit different and I don't know m- mainly because I don't follow that many men by design but <laughs> I, I also think yeah you're right there is like the things that we don't know that we're telling ourselves and we're telling ourselves about other people and what they're doing um and i th- I think I definitely have been internally quite critical of women that do seem to be shameless promoters of themselves but I think that's more me just being fearful of the fact that I cannot do that <laughs> myself or I don't want to or I want to but I'm I like I just don't have the confidence i I think I'm now self-aware enough to recognise like there's traits or levels of confidence that I just don't yet have, but they have, and I would like that. And instead of kind of, like you say, cheerleading and turning that outward and being positive, it's more like, ugh, this person's terrible.
1: It's a muscle, right? It's like you need to keep practising that muscle. And the same as we said before, it also takes a really long time. Like, of course it's shit. If you're like, oh, I did my first video and three people watch it that's not going to make anybody happy. I need to keep reminding myself, like I'm not doing it for the people, for the number of people, like even if it's just one person, if it makes a difference to that one person, then you keep going. Yeah. All
2: right. Final question. What is the best advice you've ever received and the worst advice you've ever received?
1: Mm. Best advice is every single thing that we do in the world is up for debate. It's made up. So the way that we buy houses, the way that we get married, the way that we go to work, the way we learn, the way we eat, like all of these things have been completely made up, usually by a bunch of white dudes however many hundred years ago. And I think when you really, really sit with that and like recognize what that means, it's very liberating. We like all of these, rules can be broken we can do things differently and you know clearly if we think about like how we look after our elderly population like how we do that doesn't work why do we do it the way that we do it because that's the way that it's always been done yeah I think seeing seeing problems that way through that lens is is where you know groundbreaking innovation comes from so I do love that one Um, that is good and then I think the worst so somebody once said to me at the start of my career that I needed to stop wearing high heels because I looked as if I was trying too hard (laughs) what? and yeah just like fuck that I'll wear what I want it's a really harmful thing to say to a young woman in her early 20s so that was yeah terrible advice
2: Yeah, I don't think telling anyone what to wear is ever good advice, to be honest. Yesterday I interviewed someone, a VC, who was told actually her worst advice was that she needed to dress better for these meetings, actually. So it's like so bizarre, like, (laughs) just stay away from telling people what to wear. (laughs) That seems like the best possible way to go. (laughs) That's terrible. All right, well, I think that's everything for me and the podcast, this was fun. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
1: I'm so glad. Thank you so much for asking me to be to be part of it.
2: If you didn't come away from this episode taken by Lauren, I'm not sure you were listening. She is definitely the person you need to be following right now. You can find her on Instagram at underscore Lauren Curry underscore and Curry is spelled C-U-R-R-I-E. If you're interested in leadership, you can find out more about Stride and join their beta at stride.inc. For updates on Wannabe, follow Content is Queen on Twitter at Content is QN and Instagram at Content is Queen HQ. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends via your Insta stories. We've pulled some amazing quotes from the episodes, which you can reshare via Instagram and Twitter, of course. To get extended show notes listing any of the tools and resources we've talked about on this episode visit wannabepodcast.com. This podcast is proudly a content is queen production. A huge 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 thank you to Ellie Clifford for making these home recordings work because they are working and thank you for listening. Until next time, bye.